the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, I think I'd remember how this goes. Good afternoon to you, Northern California. Welcome. It is a Wednesday, the sixth day of July, and a happy belated Fourth of July weekend holiday to you. Took a little time off here, a little, little vacay time, a little project time, and uh, kind of getting caught back up now. And my goodness, do we have a lot to get caught up on. We're going to kind of dive into um, all things legal in the first hour of tonight's program. A little bit later on, constitutional expert Bob Zedek is going to join us. Bob's going to help unpack for us a lot of the decisions handed down by the Supreme Court over the last uh, couple of weeks here. And uh, it has been nothing short of incredible, mind-boggling, and phenomenal, to say the least. We'll spend some time unpacking for you at least some of the biggest and far-reaching decisions by the court. We'll get to that conversation coming up in just a few moments. But speaking of constitutional matters, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, joins us first tonight here in the 5 o'clock hour to talk about um, a decision handed down by a judge that has put in place a temporary block to a policy by a university that essentially censured three Christian students for simply expressing their opinions, their personal beliefs. And, of course, this having an important potential impact on First Amendment rights as we get more details from Brad Dacus, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Counselor, as always, we appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. This is an interesting story because it, it, it's not a case where you, you might think at first blush is a matter of the the university coming in and trying to censure students because they were expressing uh, harassing speech or hateful language or things of this sort. It essentially is the difference between harassing speech versus expressing speech, which last I checked was still enshrined in the First Amendment to the Constitution. Oh, absolutely. These uh, three students uh, didn't do any name-calling, made no threats, uh, they were in a, a conversation expressing their opinion, uh, their t- traditional views with regards to uh, the definition of marriage and, and sexual ethics, um, you know, and same-sex marriage. They were engaged in a, a conversation expressing their viewpoint, and because they expressed that viewpoint, uh, they were censored, silenced by the university. Well, these brave uh, three brave young young uh, gentlemen uh, passed uh, filed a, a lawsuit, uh, and the federal judge, uh, federal chief U.S. District Judge David Nye, uh, issued a preliminary injunction against the enforcement of these uh, outrageous uh, policies, which clearly violate the free extra, the free speech clause of, of the First Amendment of the Constitution. 
And this is an interesting case because this was really uh, in a somewhat of an open forum. By that, I mean that there was a free exchange of ideas. In fact, I think part of the, the input from the three students that were censored by the university had said, hey, we, we were asked to share our opinions, and we did so. No harm, no foul. Um, but somebody, and I understand it wasn't even the people that they were in dialogue with. It was some third party who overheard the conversation who actually reported them to the university. Yeah, this is, this is scary when you, you actually see a, a university with that kind of mindset. And unfortunately, Craig, you know, we at Pacific Justice Institute have noticed this kind of draconian censorship mindset. There's only one way to think, only one possible way of expressing yourself, one viewpoint. We see that uh, dominating uh, universities across the country in different ways among different faculty and, and administration. So... Uh, this is hopefully will send a, a message to other universities that universities are to be the open marketplace of ideas, not the most censored, stifling, uh, uh, speech stifling places on earth. And uh, hopefully that message will be heard loud and clear. We at Pacific Justice Institute intend uh, to go to bat for people all across the country in similar situations. And, you know, again, it is amazing in 2022 that we even have to have these conversations. I, I guess it just goes toward the degree to which there's been so much overreaching. And, and you know, to be sure, there are people that, that engage in harassing language and name-calling and things of that sort and make people feel very uncomfortable. And I think to the degree to which we want to create an atmosphere that, that fosters, uh, you know, education, first and foremost, at a university, that kind of seems to make sense. But let's not go overboard and suddenly decide that, all speech that opposes somebody's way of thinking is is somehow going to suddenly be put into that in that harassment category and therefore has to be silenced at all costs. I mean, it, it just seems to be a, an overreach, in my opinion, and and pretty horrific understanding of the fundamental protections afforded us by the First Amendment. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, I, I'm I'm confident that this university will learn its message. You know, will learn the lesson from this. You know, the judge granted an injunction. Uh, that's a message that uh, there is a you know substantial likelihood that these uh, students are going to prevail in the end. Uh, I assume this case is probably going to uh, settle uh, in the meantime. Uh, but um, you know, this is we need to call this out and we see it. And we at Pacific Justice Institute, uh, you know, stand ready when these things uh, you know pop up in the, in the future. So at this point, it's simply an injunction. Are you expecting there to be some sort of give and take then? Do you think there'll be a response from the university? I mean, are they are they foolish enough to try to defend their position here? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't think if they have any kind of competent legal counsel. I don't think they're going to try to defend this. Um, they may try to twist and distort the facts that you've got witnesses as to what actually happened. You know, their claim is that this you know violates you know Title IX, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, a protection of, 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 of you know, of, of protected groups, um, that's, that's irrelevant when it comes to uh, First Amendment rights. The First Amendment free speech uh, overrules um, these, these, this language that they're talking to, and they're trying to use in a way uh, to, to censor and silent viewpoint and thought. Uh, that is a, a twisting of Title IX. And I'm confident that at the end of the day, the judge uh, will, will see will see it the same way. 
Yeah, you know, and the the notion of taking this to the nth degree to suggest that there needed to be, as there were in this case, uh, uh, keep away orders, uh, you know, and as if somehow there's a there's a threat here. Again, this wasn't a complaint that was issued um, by any of the parties involved, and uh, you know, I mean, what happens now with the keep away order if you run across somebody, you know, in 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 you know the middle of the plaza at the school or something? Are you in violation now? And then, what, what does the university do? Kick you out? I mean, it just seems that this has the potential to really go overboard really fast. Absolutely, and um, you know, the court made it very clear in saying that the defendant's orders uh, targeted the viewpoint of plaintiff's speech. Both students and professors expressed opposing viewpoints to the views expressed by the plaintiffs without any type of intervention, let alone punishment. Um, so, you know, the judge is making it very clear uh, there's there's no room for this kind of censorship of viewpoint, uh, even especially religious viewpoint, on a public university. And uh, we're very I'm very pleased to see the outcome, and we're all uh, and I'm I'm confident that uh, one way or the other, uh, these three students will prevail in the final outcome. All right. Well, we appreciate, Counselor, the update on this important matter, and uh, we'll continue to uh, follow the story as things progress. Hopefully, this will just sort of quietly fall apart, and the university will will back off from this uh, overreach regarding First Amendment rights and the attempt to try and stifle same. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer. He's the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. All right, we're not going to leave constitutional matters here. Oh, no. In fact, we're going to dive a lot deeper and unpack for you some of the uh, the key decisions. Not all, because uh, we need about eight hours to do that adequately, but we'll at least get to some of the key positions and the decisions handed down by SCOTUS over the, uh, the tail end of the this current session. Joining us next, syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, constitutional historian, Bob Zadek. Around the corner next as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. 19 minutes after the hour here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Well, as I mentioned, uh, that has not been a uh, down period for the United States Supreme Court at the end of their session by any means. In other words, they weren't kicking back and relaxing, churning out some pretty significant work and uh, work that, quite frankly, will have an impact on the lives of Americans for a long time to come. Now, were we to unpack every one of the decisions handed down in the kind of care and detail that they appropriately deserve, we probably need the next eight hours. And since we don't have that, and uh, my guest tonight has dinner plans eventually tonight with his spouse, we're going to at least uh, make the most of the time that we have. Great to have back with us on the program, constitutional historian, best-selling author, and syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek. Oh, and he's not answering the phone, really. <laughs> Oh, you lost him? Okay. Well, that was a great introduction, too. So uh, Bob Zadek will be joining us momentarily as we uh, get him back on the uh, the horn here. I guess uh, Nate forgot to put 25 cents in the... Uh in the slot, uh, we're going <laughs> to, you got to pay those phone bills somehow, right? We're going to dive into some of the bigger decisions handed down by the Supreme Court, as I mentioned. And uh, of course, listeners of this program, undoubtedly one of the biggest decisions that we have seen was the Supreme Court decision regarding Roe versus Wade. A, uh, a decision that ironically enough um, survived under its um, initial uh, 
how should I say, uh, release, for want of a better term, back in January of 1973, survived nearly 49 and a half years, not making it to 50 years. That original decision on a 7-2 to two ruling, ironically, five of the seven were either Republicans or Republican appointees, which I think is also demonstrative of a significant shift within Republicanism over the last 50 years, considering the fact that we we essentially, again, between Republicans or Republican appointees, were handed this debacle of a decision in 1973. And then, of course, um, that being unenshrined and handed back to the authority of the states with this decision given us at the tail end of June. The 63 ruling, there is no constitutional right to abortion, overruling the court's previous decisions, allowing states once again to fully determine their own laws and regulations for abortion. Uh, Undoubtedly, we're going to wind up with a bit of a patchwork quilt here across the country. You're going to see some states that, in fact, had already passed more restrictive regulations related to abortion on demand, states like Georgia and Mississippi, and then others on the more extreme liberal end of the spectrum, like New York and California, that um, have and will undoubtedly continue to pass laws that make abortion available every stripe at every time for any reason and and enshrined for undoubtedly years to come. And and essentially with this decision, the court said, you know, it's an unenumerated right, meaning the Constitution is silent on this matter. And as such, we need to then essentially turn this back over to the states. Uh, You know, the irony is, and and I think this has been lost on a lot of people, um, and and I, I would suspect that there is not a huge percentage of people that are in favor of abortion in this audience, but for those that for whatever reason are and are upset by this decision, um, I think the court got it right here that the the Constitution is silent on this matter. To try and somehow extrapolate a right to abortion out of the privacy clause just is a stretch beyond the imagination. And so I think it was in its right to turn it back to the states and say, you know, matters of this sort, if the Constitution is silent on it, which it is, and if Congress has failed to change the law, which it did, then it goes back to a states' rights matter. What I find interesting, and again, this is to my point for those in the audience that may for some reason come down to the side of of, um, choice, and and I, I... I want to pick my words wisely here because I know oftentimes when you press a person on the matter, they'll say, well, I'm not personally in favor of abortion, but I believe that a woman has a right to choose, which seems to me uh, double-minded at multiple layers and certainly is very sloppy uh, theology, if not sloppy morality. But that said, if the Democrats, who've had umpteen opportunities where they controlled the Senate, controlled the House, controlled the presidency— over the course of the last nearly five decades, had wished to really codify this, had wished to enshrine it, they had an opportunity to do so. For whatever reason, they assumed that the 73 SCOTUS decision was somehow established or or, uh, completed law, 
when in fact I think most legal experts will argue that it was always on shaky ground from the very beginning, that this was one of those rare cases where the Supreme Court seemed to be more doing political bidding of the times than anything else. You have to realize this is right toward the end of American involvement in the Vietnam War, at the height of the women's liberation movement. This had been pressed quite heavily by the same people that supported the Equal Rights Amendment, and this was regarded as a huge benefit or or win, so to speak, for the liberal fraction of the Democrat Party. The problem, of course, was that this was never... (laughs) never improperly enshrined by the United States Congress, as I delineated a moment ago, and was sort of left to, well, it's established law because the Supreme Court says it is. When, in fact, there is no constitutional um, justification behind this from the very get-go. And again, this is one of those cases where it is an unenumerated right, meaning the Constitution is silent on this. Now, there are other examples out there where the Constitution is also silent, but there are other aspects of the Constitution that will at least give some weight or validity to such a position. I mean, the right, for example, related to personal freedoms as it comes down to um, the right of a mixed couple to marry. You won't find it enshrined in the Constitution, but there are certainly other enumerated rights that would give rise or give cause to the notion that though this one be unenumerated, that nevertheless it fits within the overall framework of the Founding Fathers and and therefore does not run afoul um, or, or compete with uh, its its own constitutional validity. That was the, never the case with Roe v. Wade um, or um, Bolton. This was, again, largely seemingly from the get-go political motivation. Right or wrong, there it was. And so th- this is the awkward situation where um, both Roe and uh, Bolton have sort of hung for the last 50 years. And um, it was only in this recent case that finally, I think, the the Supreme Court found itself in a position where it could give serious reconsideration. The court traditionally does not like to overturn or reverse decisions handed down by previous courts. And, you know, there's some argument that it seems to sort of, you know, uh, under undermine the authority of the high court if based on the same information on Tuesday it hands down one decision and then, you know, 100 Tuesdays later completely reverses itself. This is not so much a reversal, but to say that, yes, sometimes the court does get it wrong. And in this case, in 1973, the extrapolation of a right to an abortion vis-a-vis the right to privacy really seemed to be an overreach. And so rightfully, the court put the decision back where it belongs. Now, yes, this will create, as I said before, this sort of hodgepodge of laws between the states. But, you know, at the end of the day, if people don't like the state that they're in and disagree with the state's position on this topic, you have two opportunities as an American. 
One is to get up and vote with your feet and just say, you know what, I I don't agree with this, and I'm not going to support it, and I don't want to live in a state that supports it, and I don't want to pay income taxes and sales taxes to a state that engages in this. And so, ciao, I'm out of here. You know, pack pack up the car, Martha, we're moving. Uh, that is a right that we have as Americans. The other right that we have, if not, we take it a step further and suggest duty, and that is as Americans, to say we don't like the laws being passed by our state, and so we wish to change them. And there's two ways you can do that. Um, You can force the legislature to do its job and more accurately reflect the will of the people, uh, increasingly a challenge in states like California, Or you can certainly propose a ballot proposition uh, that essentially allows the people to pass the laws for themselves directly in order to remedy what would be considered supposedly by the majority to be uh, in error. And so Californians have that right. If you don't like what you see what's going on with the governor doing more and more to um, create a sanctuary state for abortion here in California and essentially create this come one, come all, and we'll even pay for your visit and pay for your surgery, um, then we have two ways of fixing this. We can change out the current legislature for those that would be representatives uh, holding more true to the uh, predominant majority opinion in the state of California. Or you can go out there and collect the signatures and get a ballot proposition approved and put it before the people. One way or the other, the states have a right to choose on this one, and choose they will. Um, The kind of burden that it will place on individuals if you live in a state that does not provide abortion and you want one, um, yeah, that's going to be burdensome, uh, you know, and therefore that's the reason why we have different states and the states are allowed to sort of have the authority so that it's not all top down, but rather the power coming from the bottom flowing up. And again, anytime anybody doesn't like it, you have a right to move or right to change. 5.30 from KFAX. Let's get an update on timeout and back with more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the significance of this decision. And joining me now is Brian Johnston. Brian, of course, is the host of Life Matters, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And he is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And uh, Brian, wow, this is the first time we've had a chance to talk in person since the SCOTUS decision. And, uh, yes. brother, it's it's amazing to think it's been a very long 49 years. But finally, here we are. Your thoughts? Yes. Well, this has happened before. We've seen it in Brown v. Board of Education. We know that still, and the court didn't want to admit it, but in the Dred Scott decision, they were going to settle the slavery debate once and for all. They didn't do that. They actually contributed to greater conflict. Now, in finally clarifying that Roe v. Wade was false, as you know, we've talked about that, Craig, most people still don't fully understand that Roe was confusing and false. It is specific in Roe that a woman doesn't have the right to decide when and how she does abortion. She only has the right to seek an abortion. Then in Doe, which is the companion decision, 
and conjoined with it. In Doe v. Bolton, the court said only a doctor, this is a medical decision, and we're giving the doctor the authority to kill a human baby at any time they think it's necessary. No one should suffer the consequences of being investigated. They should not be under state scrutiny. It gave all authority, not to the women. That's what's astounding, and you've heard the quote that, that Justice Ginsburg said the same thing. It doesn't give rights to women. It gave the right to the doctor. What Dobbs did, and this is why Alito was so brilliant, I'm so glad that the Chief Justice didn't write the decision, because he did write a decision, a companion decision, where he wanted to, to tweak Roe. He wanted to play with it, and he didn't address the issue of medical killing. He wanted to adjust, oh, well, when will we kill this baby? Maybe here, maybe there. So the Chief Justice didn't want to do this. But Alito clearly understood this is what happened. Every state under the United States Constitution is told you have a compelling state interest to protect the lives within your borders. And every state has a compelling state interest to protect innocent lives. You know that already because every state establishes authority for jurisdictions to have policemen. Those policemen are authorized to protect the innocent, to act quickly on their behalf. The state has the authority to determine then if someone should be killed, if there's a death penalty. So this is a decision that is made by the state. The state has a compelling state interest to determine if there will be any judicial killing, a death penalty, or if that innocent life should be protected and when it's protected. So all states in 73 were fulfilling their role. And they they decided in some states it was called a form of homicide. In other states it was under the medical statutes. But every state in the nation was doing their job to protect lives in their state. What Roe did through Blackman, Roe said, we're going to take that authority we're going to give it to one person, an abortionist, who's doing an abortion. If they want to do the abortion, you cannot second-guess that abortion. You can't investigate that abortion. That's what Roe did. Again, Roe was combined with Doe. Read the book. We've talked about it, Craig. And thankfully, Alito cut through and didn't let. He was strong enough, and the other justices were strong enough. If the chief justice would have had his way, he would have just played with the chess board and adjusted Roe. He admitted as much. So it's a wonderful decision. And now each and every state, as you just pointed out earlier, has the authority to once again protect lives. And it's the legislatures that speak for the state. And the people can talk to their legislators in a republic. And you can lobby your legislator and say, hey, we need to protect these babies at such a time or in this manner or for this reason. And many states are now doing that. I personally will talk about another time. I think having the ability for civil action, if your child is taken or if you're a grandparent and you aren't informed of that minor's abortion, that abortionist has harmed you, took your grandchild's life, and you were not informed, 
look, you have a right. Again, you can never get enough money. But under the Texas law that they really hate right now, and Planned Parenthood, they hate this. It, abortionists are running terrified of the fact that they could lose money doing abortions because individuals will sue them. And it won't be a crime. It's not criminal law. It's under civil law. When it's criminal law, the prosecutors have to sue, and a lot of elected prosecutors are afraid to enforce the law. By the way, you're seeing that in San Francisco right now. The prosecutors in San Francisco, they have prosecutorial discretion, so they get political. We're not going to arrest these these kids for stealing stuff. We're going to let people poop in the street. We're going to do this or that. And down in Los Angeles, the prosecutor there, that recall, blah, blah, blah. But if you have an elected prosecutor with criminal law, they get to decide whether to enforce it or not. Under civil law, and this is what Texas is doing, the power of this, is if you have been harmed because your child, or, or your, let's say you're the father, you can say, I was not informed. I wanted to help Sally, and she hit it, and you wouldn't, and I, I, that was my baby. That is powerful, and states are doing that. So essentially what happened in Dobbs is the state's duty, each and every state took this issue on, and that's discussed in our book. We discussed that. We've talked about it on the program. But there's a history throughout common law and Western civilization of why the child in the womb is considered a human being. And that's because it's obvious, really. But the law has also reflected that. In Roe v. Wade with Doe, and together they were called the Roe Regiment, states couldn't do that. It was only given to abortionists. That interest in protecting lives was exercised only by abortionists. So thankfully, Alito cut through the fog and said, I'm restoring to states their authority. There is no right to an abortion in the Constitution. The compelling state interest to protect life is hereby restored. Each and every state is free to protect lives in their jurisdiction. Powerful decision. And now the fight, we don't have enough time tonight, Frank, but now the fight in our state and all the states up the left coast is going to get very real because particularly in California, there's a supermajority. The Democrat Party, I hate to say this, I was once a Democrat. But it is now controlled by the most radical elements. This is not Kennedy Democrats. This is not even Clinton Democrats. These are radical Democrats, and they, they're acting. They don't want any, any limits on abortion whatsoever, and they just qualified for the fall ballot, the Reproductive Rights Amendment. And we can go into a lot of depth on that. So our battle in California is raging, and people need to understand that means you have got to be involved in civics. You've got to educate people as to what this debate's really about. And this is the point that I was making. We can dive into this a bit in more detail, Brian, after the break. But the point that I was making before you joined us this evening, and again, I appreciate the, the last-minute accommodation, and that is that, you know, in, in turning this back to the states, number one, uh, the, cost, the, the, the Supreme Court was righting a wrong that I think was largely politically motivated 
50 years ago. And again, during the height of, of the Equal Rights Amendment push and just on the, on the, the heels of the end of American involvement uh, by two years, I think, of the uh, Vietnam War, there was a lot of political turmoil going on in the country and, and, and how the Supreme Court somehow extrapolated out of the right to privacy an unenumerated right to abortion has made no sense. You and I have discussed this ad nauseum down through the years, and I think that turning it back to the states was the proper and appropriate thing to do. And the other point here, too, is that if people are uncomfortable with the decisions now that are being made related to this topic in their own state, now we need to turn our focus on addressing those issues. And if we're dissatisfied with um, the posturing, political posturing of the legislature, well, it's high time to, you know, help them go find new lines of work. Um, you know, I mean, essentially, when you come down to a state's rights issue, you've got two ways to respond. You can either get involved and work to change it, or you can vote with your feet and decide, I don't want to be a part of a state that takes XYZ position, and uh, and there go find yourself a state that uh, that you're more comfortable with. And, and you know, Ironically, the Founding Fathers basically said as much by suggesting that the power needed to come not from the top going down, but rather from down, meaning at the power of the people, up. And so individual states get to protect their own positions. And if a state chooses, by the will of the majority of its people, to, to be in favor or against whatever it might be, they have the right to do so. That's right. I know we're scheduled tomorrow to talk about the language and the deceitfulness it's used, but just quickly, since you've mentioned the states, you know, I was on a television program there in the Bay Area, and the woman said, yes, well, the women have the right to self-determination to control their own body in California. And, well, wait, wait a second. I said, actually, I'm sorry, that's not true. She said, what? No, that was granted in Roe, and now we have to restore that. No, actually, it, that's not what we're talking about. Obviously, we, you and I know there's another body involved. But in California, a woman cannot do whatever she wants with her body. And it even said that in Roe. I won't belabor that. But it said that in Roe. He wasn't giving women the right to body. A woman cannot throw herself off the Golden Gate. She cannot jump from a, from a building. Uh, policemen will try to stop her because she's about to harm a member of society herself. But more to the point... She can't even sell her body, even in the name of love. She can't use her body any way she wants. Now, if she wants to go to Nevada, she can sell her body. In Nevada, that is legal. And if someone wants to use the term you want, be a prostitute, be a professional, the, the word is whore, Nevada allows that. But California does not allow it, so don't say this is about the right to use your body or have your own body and do with what you want with it. That is an issue that has been addressed. This is about a human abortion, and there's much more. Now, what if the governor of Nevada said, you know, we don't have enough prostitutes in Nevada? Let's start flying in women who want the freedom to be prostitutes. We'll pay for their trip. We'll market to California women to come here. Well, I think Californians would start scratching their head and say, you know what? Leave us alone. That is not what we have in mind. And yet, that's exactly what Gavin Newsom is doing. He's going, and those laws, we'll talk about it more, but every one of those laws are protective, not just of the baby, 
those laws regarding parental notice, those laws, for example, RU46, many governors say, we don't want you sending RU46 in here. Well, that's a good thing because they actually attack a woman's body first. RU46 is a chemical attack to change the nature of the woman's body and ultimately expel whatever is in her womb. That's how they killed the baby. But that's an extremely dangerous chemical. And states want the right to protect the lives of innocent people in their state. That includes women. And all of the laws that are being called, oh, immoral, and they're limiting choice, as if this, by the way, they don't talk all of their language. They don't talk about the abortion. They don't get, they use euphemism. Choice, well, choice requires an object. What is being chosen? Why, why don't they want to describe and talk about that? We're not talking about hair color. We're not talking about shoes or clothes. Choice to do what? And so there's an intellectual dishonesty, and I've gone through all of the language you've heard to argue for reproductive rights. Well, think a second. What's reproduced in an abortion? Pause on that point, if you would, Brian. We need to take a quick time out here so we can uh, try to stay uh, somewhat on time. Brian Johnston with us. He, of course, is the host of Life Matters. He unpacks many of these issues every Saturday on his program at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. A brief time out back with some more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Brian Johnston with us tonight. He, of course, is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters. Check him out every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. We're talking about the recent SCOTUS decision that has essentially looked at um, the Roe v. Wade from 1973 and said, yeah, you know what? SCOTUS got it wrong. They have made something here out of whole cloth that simply does not exist, likely, as I suggested earlier, due to, um, let's face it, environmental pressure, right? The environment, the political environment that was at play in the late 1960s, early 1970s here in the United States. And so the court has turned around and said, nope, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if the issue is going to be addressed, it needs to be addressed by the individual states. Handing it, of course, back to states means some laws that are quite restrictive, such as in Mississippi and Texas, will stand. Other states like California pushing more and more in a radical direction. There's more talk, of course, Brian, about, uh, well, are, are women going to be pursuing other means, uh, most notably things like RU486, the abortifacient. I, I'm surprised with all of this that um, given the side effects of something like RU486, uh, always lethal to one, potentially lethal to the other, certainly lots of extreme side effects for the, the, the hormonal um, havoc that it wreaks on a woman. I'm really surprised that the FDA has yet to step up and say, yeah, this is a bad idea. Well, that's a great point, because at one time the FDA did. But the FDA is a political organization, and those with the political power can get the FDA to do what they want. So the FDA did at one time, but then the powers that be adjusted that. No, this is a very powerful artificial steroid. A lot of people confuse RU-486 with the morning after pill. It's not. It is dramatically different. 
Um, and they just think, well, it's a pill you take to be unpregnant. No, nothing could be further from the truth. We would have to spend a whole program going into the science, but there's, there's, there's so much science on our side. But objectively, the pill has to be taken only after the woman knows she's missed her second period. And then she can take it. She has a window to do it then. But the child's pretty far along. And as I said, the way it attacks the child is it attacks the first and tells her body chemically, you are not a mother. How dare you How dare you start nurturing this child? So it's an artificial steroid that attacks. It's double-barreled, and it's the second progesterone that literally causes the woman to spontaneously, and she doesn't know when it'll happen. And when you hear the stories of women that have been through this, they're terrified. They see the baby. They don't. Uh, usually, it's if they can get to a bathroom in time because they don't know when it's going to happen. It's a terrible thing to go through. So again, all of the laws, um, we'll talk about them further. We know this. Hey, it is hard if you're not expecting to be pregnant. Look. We, the pro-life movement has always reached out to women, and throughout history, by the way, that is the answer. Women want help. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's guys that get off the hook. Guys want to get rid of responsibility. And I used to teach high school. I know students who are still friends of mine. I know what they've been through, and it's the guy that wanted that abortion. He wanted it. And so he made sure that sometimes, tragically, it's also the parents. We don't want that embarrassment. And they'll do it. But very often, what, what a woman that's pregnant, this is the first time she, she's realizing what it means to be a mom. That wasn't, that's a new thing. We, we've got nothing but compassion for that. It's ironic that the, the pro-abortion community is attacking, literally firebombing. And I just saw today that, that uh, the senator from Massachusetts, sometimes called Pocahontas, her name escapes me. Um, she wants to close all crisis pregnancy centers federally. This is madness. That's how, that's how they view this. And it is important to realize that, you know, I, I'm sorry to say it, but there is very deep spiritual deception when you say the answer is to kill the baby. You know, um, they say, they use euphemisms, and, and one is to terminate a pregnancy. Again, that's a euphemism. Make sure, if you're a Christian, if you're pro-life, make sure you cut through the euphemism. My mom, I'm sorry, I, I, have, I don't talk about it often. She terminated pregnancy. I don't talk about it. But when she did, I was born. Because pregnancy is a condition. So they're not talking about abortion. They're talking about a condition. And that's not their goal. Their goal is indeed a dead baby. And they made that clear in the language for SCA 10. They defined what an abortion was, and they borrowed from my, from my point. They said an abortion is the termination of a pregnancy that does not re resolve in live birth. They do not want live births when they say termination of pregnancy. So make sure when you're talking to people, and again, we make the mistake of allowing 
Orwell talk and euphemisms, then, to, and then they build on those euphemisms. So you have an obligation as a Christian to bear witness to the truth. That's your job. That's why you're here. And sometimes you've got to be pleasantly persistent. Say, well, wait, 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 what is being chosen? Now let's talk about this. I'd love to talk with you about it. What is this choice? Oh, but what, is it just termination of pregnancy? That That's all you want? No. Their goal is that life must be ended. I've just finished another program, Craig, and I interviewed folks at National Right to Life and Adoption. There is a war against adoption by the abortion lobby. They hate adoption. Well, they hate my friends then. I have numerous friends that are, have been adopted. In many ways, I can see, my parents told me I wasn't adopted. They tell me that I wasn't. But the fact is, you know who's really pro Jack Nicholson never knew he was adopted until he was 37. And a reporter from Time magazine called him and said, you know, you're, you're adopted. And Nicholson said, what? Yeah, that woman you thought was your mom? I researched this. She was really your grandma. And the woman you thought was your sister? That's your real mom. Wow, phenomenal. And I want to pick that up when we get a chance to visit tomorrow. Uh, and again, I, I appreciate your flexibility, Brian, to uh, hop in here at the last minute. It's a burning topic. And while I was on it, we thought we would uh, invite your expertise in. Brian Johnson, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, host of Life Matters again Saturday mornings, 11 a.m., right here on KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.